Section 20 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. By Rossiter Johnson, Charles F. Horn, and John Rudd. Section 20. The Hegira. Part 1. Career of Mahomet, the Quran, and Mahometan Creed. A.D. 622. Simon Ockley. Mahomet had hitherto propagated his religion by fair means only. During his stay at Mecca, he had declared his business was only to preach and admonish, and that whether people believed or not was none of his concern. He had hitherto confined himself to the arts of persuasion, promising, on the one hand, the joys of paradise to all who should believe in him, and who should, for the hopes of them, disregard the things of this world, and even bear persecution with patience and resignation, and on the other, deterring his hearers from what he called infidelity, by setting before them both the punishments inflicted in this world upon Pharaoh and others, who despised the warnings of the prophets sent to reclaim them, and also the torments of hell, which would be their portion in the world to come. Now, however, when he had got a considerable town at his command, and a good number of followers firmly attached to him, he began to sing another note. Gabriel now brings him messages from heaven to the effect that, whereas other prophets had come with miracles and been rejected, he was to take different measures and propagate Islamism by the sword. And accordingly, within a year after his arrival at Medina, he began what was called the Holy War. For this purpose he first of all instituted a brotherhood, joining his Ansars, or helpers, and his Mohajerans, or refugees, together in pairs, he himself taking Ali for his brother. It was in allusion to this that Ali, afterward when preaching at Kufa, said, I am the servant of God, and brother to his apostle. In the second year of the Hegira, Mahomet changed the Kebla of the Musulman, which before this time had been toward Jerusalem, ordering them henceforth to turn toward Mecca when they prayed. In the same year he also appointed the fast of the month Ramadan. Mahomet, having now a pretty large congregation at Medina, found it necessary to have some means of calling them to prayers. For this purpose he was thinking of employing a horn, or some instrument of wood, which should be made to emit a loud sound by being struck upon. But his doubts were settled this year by a dream of one of his disciples, in which a man appearing to him in a green vest recommended as a better way that the people should be summoned to prayers by a crier calling out, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, etc. God is great, God is great, but there is one God, Mahomet is his prophet, come to prayers, come to prayers. Mahomet approved of the scheme, and this is the very form in use to this day among the Muslims who, however, in the call to morning prayers, add the words, Prayer is better than sleep, 
prayer is better than sleep a sentiment not unworthy the consideration of those who are professors of a better religion the same year the apostle sent some of his people to plunder a caravan going to mecca which they did and brought back two prisoners to medina this was the first act of hostility committed by the mussulmans against the idolaters the second was the battle of Bedir. the history of the battle is thus given by abulfida the apostle hearing that a caravan of the meccans was coming home from syria escorted by abu sofian at the head of thirty men placed a number of soldiers in ambuscade to intercept it abu sofian being informed thereof by his spies sent word immediately to mecca whereupon all the principal men except abu lahib who however sent al-assum son of hesham in his stead marched out to his assistance making in all nine hundred and fifty men whereof two hundred were cavalry the apostle of god went out against them with three hundred and thirteen men of whom seventy-seven were refugees from mecca the rest being helpers from medina they had with them only two horses and seventy camels upon which they rode by turns the apostle encamped near a well called Bedir, from the name of the person who was owner of it and had a hut made where he and abu bekr sat as soon as the armies were in sight of each other three champions came out from among the idolaters otha son of rabia his brother sheba and al-walid son of otha against the first of these the prophet sent obidah son of harith hamza against the second and ali against the third hamza and ali slew each his man and then went to the assistance of obidah and having killed his adversary, brought off Obidah, who, however, soon after died of a wound in his foot. All this while the apostle continued in his hut in prayer, beating his breast so violently that his cloak fell off his shoulders, and he was suddenly taken with a palpitation of the heart. Soon recovering, however, he comforted Abu Bekr, telling him God's help was come. Having uttered these words, he forthwith ran out of his hut and encouraged his men, and taking a handful of dust, threw it toward the Korishites, and said, May their faces be confounded, and immediately they fled. After the battle, Abdallah, the son of Masud, brought the head of Abu Jahel to the apostle, who gave thanks to God. Al-As, brother to Abu Jahel, was also killed. Al-Abbas also, the prophet's uncle, and Okail, son of Abu Talib, were taken prisoners. Upon the news of this defeat, Abu Laheb died of grief within a week. Of the Mussulmans died fourteen martyrs, for so they call all such as die fighting for Islamism. The number of idolaters slain was seventy, among whom my author names some of chief note, Hantala, son of Abu Sofian, and Nofal, brother to Khadija. Ali slew six of the enemy with his own hand. The Prophet ordered the dead bodies of the enemy to be thrown into a pit, and remained three days upon the field of battle dividing the spoil. 
on occasion of which a quarrel arose between the helpers and the refugees and to quiet them the eighth chapter of the quran was brought from heaven it begins thus they will ask thee concerning the spoils say the spoils belong to god and his apostle and again in the same chapter and know that whenever ye gain any a fifth part belongeth to god and to the apostle and his kindred and the orphans and the poor the other four-fifths are to be divided among those who are present at the action the apostle when he returned to safra in his way to medina ordered ali to behead two of the prisoners the victory at Bedir was of great importance to mahomet to encourage his men and to increase the number of his followers he pretended that two miracles were wrought in his favor in this as also in several subsequent battles first that god sent his angels to fight on his side and second made his army appear to the enemy much greater than it really was both these miracles are mentioned in the koran chapter eight al abbas said he was taken prisoner by a man of a prodigious size an angel of course no wonder then he became a convert as soon as the mussulmans returned to medina the Korashites sent to offer a ransom for their prisoners which was accepted and distributed among those who had taken them according to the quality of the prisoners some had one thousand drachms for their share those who had only a small or no part of the ransom mahomet rewarded with donations so as to content them all the jews had many a treaty with mahomet and lived peaceably at medina till a jew having affronted an arabian milkwoman was killed by a mussulman in revenge for this the jews killed the mussulman whereupon a general quarrel ensued the jews fled to their castles but after a siege of fifteen days were forced to surrender at discretion mahomet ordered their hands to be tied behind them determined to put them all to the sword and was with great difficulty prevailed upon to spare their lives and take all their property Ka'ab, son of ashraf was one of the most violent among the jews against mahomet he had been at mecca and with some pathetic verses upon the unhappy fate of those who had fallen at Bedir, excited the meccans to take up arms upon his return to medina he rehearsed the same verses among the lower sort of people and the women mahomet being told of these underhand practices said one day who will rid me of the son of ashraf when mahomet son of mosalama one of the helpers answered i am the man o apostle of god that will do it and immediately took with him salken son of salama and some other moslems who were to lie in ambush in order to decoy Ka'ab out of his castle which was a very strong one salken his foster brother went alone to visit him in the dusk of the evening and entering into conversation told him some little stories of mahomet which he knew would please him when he got up to take his leave Ka'ab, as he expected attended him to the gate and continuing the conversation went on with him till he came near the ambuscade where mahomet and his companions fell upon him and stabbed him 
Abu Safian, meditating revenge for the defeat at Beder, swore he would neither anoint himself nor come near his women till he was even with Mahomet. Setting out toward Medina with two hundred horse, he posted a party of them near the town, where one of the helpers fell into their hands and was killed. Mahomet, being informed of it, went out against them, but they all fled, and for the greater expedition threw away some sacks of meal, part of their provision, from which circumstance this was called the meal war. Abu Safian, resolving to make another and more effectual effort, got together a body of three thousand men, whereof seven hundred were cuirassiers and two hundred cavalry. His wife Henda, with a number of women, followed in the rear, beating drums and lamenting the fate of those slain at Beder, and exciting the idolaters to fight courageously. The apostle would have waited for them in the town, but as his people were eager to advance against the enemy, he set out at once with one thousand men. But of these one hundred turned back, disheartened by the superior numbers of the enemy. He encamped at the foot of Mount Ohud, having the mountain in his rear. Of his nine hundred men, only one hundred had armor on, and as for horses, there was only one besides that on which he himself rode. Mossab carried the prophet's standard. Khaled, son of Al-Walid, led the right wing of the idolaters. Akrema, son of Abu Jahel, the left, the women kept in the rear, beating their drums. Henda cried out to them, Courage, ye sons of Abdal Dari, courage, smite with all your swords. Mahomet placed fifty archers in his rear, and ordered them to keep their post. Then Hamza fought stoutly and killed Arta, the standard-bearer of the idolaters, and as Siba, son of Abdul Uzza, came near him, Hamza struck off his head also, but was himself immediately after run through with a spear by Wabshah, a slave, who lurked behind a rock with that intent. Then Ebn Kamiya slew Mossab, the apostle's standard-bearer, and taking him for the prophet, cried out, I have killed Mahomet. When Mossab was slain, the standard was given to Ali. At the beginning of the action, the Muslims attacked the idolaters so furiously that they gave ground, fell back upon their rear, and threw it into disorder. The archers, seeing this, and expecting a complete victory, left their posts, contrary to the express orders that had been given them, and came forward from fear of losing their share of the plunder. In the meantime, Khaled, advancing with his cavalry, fell furiously upon the rear of the Muslims, crying aloud at the same time that Mahomet was slain. This cry, and the finding themselves attacked on all sides, threw the Muslims into such consternation that the idolaters made great havoc among them, and were able to press on so near the apostle as to beat him down with a shower of stones and arrows. He was wounded in the lip, and two arrowheads stuck in his face. Abu Obida pulled out first one and then the other. At each operation one of the apostles' teeth came out. As Sonan Abu Said wiped the blood from off his face, the apostle exclaimed, He that touches my blood 
and handles it tenderly, shall not have his blood spilt in the fire of hell. In this action, it is said, Telha, while he was putting a breastplate upon Mahomet, received a wound upon his hand, which maimed it forever. Omar and Abu Bakr were also wounded. When the Muslims saw Mahomet fall, they concluded he was killed and took to flight, and even Othman was hurried along by the press of those that fled. In a little time, however, finding Mahomet was alive, a great number of his men returned to the field, and after a very obstinate fight, brought him off and carried him to a neighboring village. The Muslims had seventy men killed. The idolaters lost only twenty-two. The Korashites had no other fruit of their victory but the gratification of a poor spirit of revenge. Henda, and the women who had fled with her upon the first disorder of the idolaters, now returned, and committed great barbarities upon the dead bodies of the apostles' friends. They cut off their ears and noses, and made bracelets and necklaces of them. Henda pulled Hamza's liver out of his body, and chewed and swallowed some of it. Abu Safian, having cut pieces off the cheeks of Hamza, put them upon the end of his spear, and cried out aloud, The success of war is uncertain. After the battle of Bedir comes the battle of Ohud. Now, Hobal, thy religion is victorious. Notwithstanding this boasting, he decamped the same day. Janabi ascribes his retreat to a panic. However, that may have been, Abu Safian sent to propose a truce for a year, which was agreed to. When the enemy were retreated toward Mecca, Mahomet went to the field of battle to look for the body of Hamza. Finding it shamefully mangled, in the manner already related, he ordered it to be wrapped in a black cloak, and then prayed over it, repeating seven times, Allah Akbar, etc., God is great, etc., in the same manner he prayed over every one of the martyrs, naming Hamza again with every one of them, so that Hamza had the prayers said over him seventy-two times. But, as if this were not enough, he declared that Gabriel had told him he had been received into the seventh heaven, and welcomed with this eulogium, Hamza the Lion of God, and the Lion of his Prophet. The Muslims were much chagrined at this defeat. Some expressed a doubt of the prophet being as high in the divine favor as he pretended, since he had suffered such an overthrow by infidels. Others murmured at the loss of his friends and relations. To pacify them he used various arguments, telling them the sins of some had been the cause of disgrace to all, that they had been disobedient to orders in quitting their post for the sake of plunder that the devil put it into the minds of those who turned back. Their flight, however, was forgiven, because God is merciful, that their defeat was intended to try them, and to show them who were believers and who not, that the event of war is uncertain, that the enemy had suffered as well as they, that other prophets before him had been defeated in battle, that death is unavoidable. And here Mahomet's doctrine of fate was of as great service to him as it was afterward to his successors, tending as it did to make his people fearless and desperate in fight.
for he taught them that the time of every man's death is so unalterably fixed that he cannot die before the appointed hour, and when that is come, no caution whatever can prolong his life one moment. So that they who were slain in battle would certainly have died at the same time, if they had been at home in their houses, but as they now died fighting for the faith, they had thereby gained a crown of martyrdom, and entered immediately into paradise, where they were in perfect bliss with their Lord. In the beginning of the next year the prophet had a revelation, commanding him to prohibit wine and games of chance. Some say the prohibition was owing to a quarrel occasioned by these things among his followers. In the fifth year of the Hegira, Mahomet, informed by his spies of a design against Medina, surrounded it with a ditch, which was no sooner finished than the Meccans, with several tribes of Arabs, sat down before it, to the number of ten thousand men. The appearance of so great a force threw the Mussulmans into a consternation. Some were ready to revolt, and one of them exclaimed aloud, Yesterday the prophet promised us the wealth of Khusrau, Khosros, and Caesar, and now he is forced to hide himself behind a nasty ditch. In the meantime, Mahomet, skillfully concealing his real concern, and setting as good a face upon the matter as he could, marched out with three thousand Mussulmans, and formed his army at a little distance behind the entrenchment. The two armies continued facing each other for twenty days without any action, except a discharge of arrows on both sides. At length some champions of the Korishites, Amrul son of Abdud, Akrima son of Abu Jahel, and Nafal son of Abdallah, coming to the ditch, leaped over it, and wheeling about between the ditch and the Muslim army, challenged them to fight. Ali readily accepted the challenge, and came forward against his uncle Amru, who said to him, "'Nephew, what a pleasure am I now going to have in killing you?' Ali replied, "'No, it is I that am to have a much greater pleasure in killing you.' Amru immediately alighted, and having hamstrung his horse, advanced toward Ali, who had also dismounted and was ready to receive him. They immediately engaged, and in turning about to flank each other, raised such a dust that they could not be distinguished, only the strokes of their swords might be heard. At last, the dust being laid, Ali was seen with his knee upon the breast of his adversary, cutting his throat. Upon this, the other two champions went back as fast as they came. Nofal, however, in leaping the ditch, got a fall, and being overwhelmed with a shower of stones, cried out, I had rather die by the sword than thus. Ali, hearing him, leaped into the ditch and dispatched him. He then pursued after Akrema, and having wounded him with a spear, drove him and his companions back to the army. Here they related what had happened, which put the rest in such fear that they were ready to retreat, and when some of their tents had been overthrown by a storm, and discord had arisen among the allies, the Korishites, finding themselves forsaken by their auxiliaries, returned to Mecca. Mahomet made a miracle of this retreat, and published upon it this verse of the Koran, God sent a storm and legions of angels, which you did not see. 
Upon the prophet's return into the town, while he was laying by his armor and washing himself, Gabriel came and asked him, Have you laid by your arms? We have not laid by ours. Go and attack them, pointing to the Koridites, a Jewish tribe confederated against him. Whereupon Mahomet went immediately, and besieged them so closely in their castles that after twenty-five days they surrendered at discretion. He referred the settlement of the conditions to Sa'ad, son of Moad, who, being wounded by an arrow at the ditch, had wished he might only live to be revenged. Accordingly, he decreed that all the men, in number between six and seven hundred, should be put to the sword, the women and children sold for slaves, and their goods given to the soldiers for a prey. Mahomet extolled the justice of this sentence, as a divine direction sent down from the seventh heaven, and had it punctually executed. Sa'ad, dying of his wound presently after, Mahomet performed his funeral obsequies and made a harangue in praise of him. One Salam, a Jew, having been very strenuous in stirring up the people against the prophet, some zealous Kasragites desired leave to go and assassinate him. Permission being readily granted, away they went to the Jew's house, and being let in by his wife, upon their pretending they were come to buy provisions, they murdered him in his bed and made their escape. End of section 20